Welcome to the podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We'd like to invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. Also, we'd like to invite you to visit our website, cotnaz.org Easter, to find out about all of our online and in-person options for Good Friday and Easter Sunday at all three of our campuses, Harrisonburg, East Rock, and Esperanza Viva. Well, happy, happy Palm Sunday to you today. So good uh, to launch into this Holy Week with you. I want to begin this morning with a question. The question is this. If I asked you this question, what would you say? What is is the most important moment of your life? What is the most important moment of your life? Our life life is made up of millions and millions of moments, right? Like if we were to take your life and it was a timeline and you were to stop at this moment right here and kind of pull it off the page and examine it, it is just like all the millions and millions of other moments that have preceded it and, and maybe will follow it. But there are just a few, right? There are just a few moments that have the power to shape us, to change the course, the trajectory of our lives. It's a moment like all the others, but there's something different in that moment. Like, like for me, I, I will never forget. The, it's like a snapshot in my mind of the moment when Lauren walked down that aisle. Like, I just, I cannot, I will not ever get over that moment. I can't escape it. Uh, I, I got to be her husband. She got to be my, a beautiful moment that changed my life forever. Forever. We have moments like that, don't we? Because moments are powerful, and, and, and as I'm saying it, you, you might reflect on a powerful moment. Maybe it was powerful, my example, in a good way. Maybe powerful in a not, not so great way. But those, those moments shape us. They shape us. Today, we're going to talk about the most powerful moment. Not just the most powerful moment in your life, but the most powerful moment in human history. <laughs> we've been in the midst of our series called Road to the Cross. And if you've been journeying with us here in person or online, you know that we began this series in Genesis chapter 3 in a garden because that's where sin entered into the world. So that's where the road to the cross began. The moment sin entered into the world, we had a problem. We needed a savior. We couldn't save ourselves. And so the road to the cross began right there in a garden in Genesis chapter 3. Week two of our series, we talked about the story of God because the road to the cross is not just about a few chapters back here in the Gospels, but it it begins, the story of God begins throughout the, the whole entirety of Scripture. And in the Old Testament, we see God covenant with his people time and time again. And he says, I will be your God, you will be my people. And what we learned throughout generation and generation, that God is a promise keeper and the promise of a Messiah. And this promise of a Messiah, of a Savior, was a new covenant, and it would be unbreakable. Not like all the other covenants before, this would be an unbreakable covenant. Jesus, the Messiah. And last week we talked about in Jesus, we see God. We experience the fullness of God through Jesus. And we see a God that wants to walk with us no matter where we are and what we're experiencing, a God who's present among us, and that Jesus was the fulfillment of the most important promise you've ever been given. And so today, we arrive at the culmination of our journey. Today, we arrive at the cross. We arrive at the cross. Not the cross you see in paintings, not the cross maybe up on the wall today. I like that one. Not the cross you might wear around your neck. The the cross. The cross. In order to understand really 
this moment that we're going to look at together in, in, in Scripture, I want to back up a little bit and understand the background of what the cross really involved. You see, the Romans, the Romans didn't invent crucifixion. They didn't. But historians have kind of credited them with perfecting the practice. Now, that's not necessarily a great thing to be known for, but that's what the Romans were considered when it came to crucifixion. Crucifixion, to die by crucifixion, was excruciating. In fact, that word excruciating, literally the same root word for crucifixion. It was so brutal that the Romans wouldn't even use it on their own citizens. It was reserved for slaves, for foreigners, for prisoners, and particularly for those political activists stirring up trouble. And because Jesus was falsely accused as a blasphemer and as trying to rise up against the Roman government, he was sentenced to be crucified. Before you were crucified, before you were led to the cross, you were stripped down and you were whipped. Not, not just whipped, you were flogged, which, which was a series, a cord of whips. And on the end of them would be glass or, or sharp bone meant to rip into your back each time that you were flogged. You legally could only be flogged 39 times because to be flogged 40 times was meant to kill you. But it wasn't uncommon. It wasn't uncommon for a person to die even before they got to the cross because the flogging was so severe. We know that they had Jesus flogged, and we know that afterwards they placed on a crown of thorns and wrapped a robe around him, mocking him as the king. They spit on him. They mocked him. They beat him. It says, the scripture says they, they hit him in the head repeatedly. After, after being flogged, a criminal would have to carry their cross, at least the crossbar of their cross. They would have to carry it to the site of their execution. But we know Jesus' flogging was so severe, he couldn't even physically carry the cross. They had to get someone to do it for him. So Jesus arrives at the place he is to die. The hill where he will hang on the cross. And as they take his wrists and nail it to the cross, and as they lift that cross up and place it into the ground, they would tie his legs and nail his feet to the cross. It was a slow and painful death. Struggling for breath, unbearable pain. The body would no doubt go into shock, and because your lungs were struggling so severely for air, asphyxiation was all but certain. Often a victim would try to push themselves up and not, not just would that be painful because of the nails holding their feet and their arms, but their back with the open flesh would rub against a rugged cross as they struggled for air. A slow and painful death. Intentionally slow and painful. Unbearable. Unbearable. Death was slow, taking several hours, as many as four days in some cases. And it was there, nailed to a cross, mocked, beaten, spit upon, that Jesus, the Son of God, Savior of the world, was crucified on a cross. If we were to examine that moment, that moment of all the moments in human history, surely it would be one of the darkest moments. And our tendency, I'm so excited uh, next week to celebrate Easter with you, and I love that, but, but as we anticipate Easter, I just want us to stop for a minute, and I don't want us to forget the cross. Because the truth is, while, while it was the darkest moment in human history, it became the most powerful moment 
that has ever been, that ever will be your most powerful moment. Let's dive into the scripture today. I said all that to get us to Matthew 27. I would love it today if you have your copy of scripture or your YouVersion Bible app. I would love for us to just spend a few minutes on the same page of scripture as we reorient ourselves on this holy week, as we allow the Lord to set a course for us uh, in our focus in the days ahead. We're going to be just a few verses here in Matthew 27, verse 45, and, and really we're diving into the moment, this moment, the darkest moment in human history that became the most powerful, the most powerful moment. Uh, let's begin, and I'll stop us several times to make some comments throughout. Verse 45 of Matthew 27. This is the word of the Lord for us. It says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me. If you joined us last week, you'll know that we concluded the service by being reminded that God will never forsake us. Because of Jesus, we are not forsaken. But now I stop here to acknowledge on the cross, Jesus is forsaken. He is literally, as Jesus is nailed to the cross, God the Father turns his back on his son. He forsakes his son. And the question you may have, why would God do that? He did it for us. For our sin, our sin was the reason that God turned his back on his son. And Jesus, feeling the weight of our sin and feeling the weight of what it means, what it feels like to be forsaken by the Father, cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? It was because of us, because of our sin. Let's keep reading. Uh, when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone and let's see if Elijah comes to save him. As Jesus hangs on the cross, they mock him, they ridicule him, they taunt him and that's exactly what sin does. It mocks, it ridicules, it destroys. A few months ago, here on this very stage, uh, Pastor Billy said this, and it was such a good, good truth. He said, sin would have fewer takers if the consequences happened immediately. And here on the cross, there is no clearer picture of the consequences of sin. As Jesus, bloodied and beaten, nailed to a cross, and yet they continue to mock him and taunt him. Let's continue to read together. Uh, and when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, get ready, because the moment's coming. He gave up his spirit. I, I know I'm stopping you a lot. I just don't want you to miss that. The word says that Jesus came to lay down his life. No one had to rip his life violently from him. He laid down his life as an offering, as a sacrifice for us. He gave up his spirit. And then... <laughs> And then what we're about to read is the reason we know that this is not an ordinary moment. We know this is not of the billions and billions of moments that have ever existed in history. We know that this one's different because what we're about to read next. At that moment. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split 
and the tombs began to break open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, and they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with him were guarding Jesus, they, they saw the earthquake, and in all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Surely he was the Son of God. I want to examine this moment together in the time that we have remaining. I want to unpack what's happening here, and this is the truth for us. I think something really profound is happening here. That history's darkest moment became its greatest. That for us, for all of mankind, that history's darkest moment became its greatest. And you don't have to take my word for it. It's right here in the text. It's right here in the moment. And so what I'm going to do uh, over the last a few minutes that we have together, I want, to, I want to talk to you how about even in death, victory is possible. And we see it happening right here in the pages of our scripture as we examine this one moment in time. First, I want to talk to you about victory over sin. Victory over sin. Uh, we know that the law required, the law required the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. Look at the, in Genesis 3. The very first sin is committed and an animal is actually killed so that, that Adam and Eve can be covered in their nakedness. So even the result of the very first sin, blood was shed. It foreshadowed. It foreshadowed something really important. That, that the sacrifice for sin. Throughout Israel's history, if you were to read through your Old Testament, throughout the Old Covenant, the temple became not just a place of worship, but a place where often an animal would be sacrificed. Why? The shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. Throughout the Old Covenant, this was their act of worship. Now we fast forward to Jesus' day, and we know in the temple, there were three distinct areas. Three distinct areas. There was what was called the outer court, and the outer court would be open to all, open for all to come as a part of worship. Uh, next, within the outer court, there was a place called the holy place, and only the priests could go in there and fulfill their daily and weekly functions. So everyone was invited to the outer court. Uh, only the priests could go into the holy place, but there was one more area at the very center of the temple. It was called the holy of holies. And what was significant about that is because that's the place where the presence of God dwelt, right there in the temple. And there was only one who could go into the Holy of Holies, the high priest. No one else dared enter into the Holy of Holies, thus they'd be struck dead from the presence of God. And so it was so significant. It was so significant that they would literally have a veil, a curtain that was hung from, from top to bottom, 60 feet in the air, 30 feet wide, that would separate man from the presence of God because no one dared enter into the Holy of Holies except for the one, the high priest. So, so what's happening here in this moment? The moment Jesus dies on the cross, he notes something really significant. You see it right there in Matthew 27, right? It says the veil was torn in two from top to bottom all the way down. And you may be reading that like, well, that's kind of cool. No, no, get what's happening here. In this moment, the moment Jesus uh, gives his life, right, on the cross, the barrier, the separation is eliminated, and now, and now there's a new living way that we can have access to the Father through Jesus' death 
on the cross. Previously, what you had the veil and you had a high priest that had to enter in on your behalf. But now Jesus becomes the high priest. He, he can enter on our behalf. And now we have access to God. We don't have to say anymore, where is God? I can't hear from God. Why can't I under? No, no, no. Jesus has now made a way because of the cross that the veil would be torn in two. And we now have access to the Father because of that moment on the cross. He made a way. He made a way. This is what Hebrews 4 says. This is so good. This is years and years after Jesus has died. Years and years after he resurrected. Years and years after this moment right here. And the veil was torn into two. This is what the author of Hebrews 4 says. He says, therefore we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold firmly then to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. And then don't miss verse 16. This is really good. Let us then approach God's throne with confidence. We approach his throne with confidence. Why? So that we can receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Why can we approach the throne of God with confidence? Because Jesus is our high priest and he has torn apart the barrier. He has eliminated the barrier so that now we can come before God with confidence because of this moment right here. It's good news. I don't need that thing anymore, right? It's good news. Victory over sin. Yeah, that's okay. Don't miss this though too. Right here in Matthew 27, there's victory over death. And as soon as I say that, we think of Easter Sunday and we should because Sunday is coming. But right here in the moment, victory over death is happening. Did you miss it? Did you see it? The moment Jesus is crucified, there's a, a powerful a powerful foreshadowing of resurrection. And there's actual resurrection happening in that moment. Look, the ground shakes and tombs are split open. And holy people come back to life. Imagine that. And then, and then they promise, hey, on Sunday when Jesus, there's going to be a parade, a parade into town of resurrected bodies. Can you imagine that scene on Easter Sunday, right? As Jesus is raised to death and he's joined by, by, a, by a, a choir of other holy people that have been resurrected from the dead. But, but there's something else here. There's a foreshadowing, not just of what's to come on Easter Sunday, but there's a foreshadowing of the resurrection all believers can look forward to. See, it's beautiful. It's beautiful that resurrection is happening on Friday. You got that? On Friday, we see Sunday is already happening. We know Sunday is coming, but we see Sunday is already happening on Friday because resurrection is taking place. But even more, it points to a resurrection that all believers long for. Paul says it this way, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of all those who have fallen asleep. So, in Christ, we see not just a powerful moment of resurrection and a cool Easter parade that's coming. No, no, no. We see a foreshadowing of the resurrection that will belong to us as those who are in Christ. That Jesus, he is just the firstfruits. He's just the deposit. He's just the first part. He's hitting leadoff, and we're coming right after because the resurrection that is his will be ours. If you are in Christ, you can expect 
resurrection. It's who God is. And, and how do you know that? At the darkest moment in human history, resurrection's happening. So we can be assured that we serve a God who heals and a God who redeems and a God who restores. We see it right in this moment, even in his death. Resurrection's happening. That's a powerful moment, isn't it? There's one more, and it may seem less significant to some of us. And I don't pretend to have these in any order of hierarchy. But there's one more image that we get that moment around the cross. And I think it's too important to ignore. It's, it's victory over doubt. Victory over doubt. Don't miss this moment. We get some snapshots in Matthew 27, don't we? We get the snapshots of them mocking Jesus. He, he's hanging there, dying on the cross, and they're mocking him, taunting him. This is the image we get of those gathered around the cross. But then in verse 54, look at it with me again. We get a very different image, don't we? In this moment, as the veil is torn, in this moment, as, as the ground shakes and tombs are split open, and it's clear something is happening, look at what it says in verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him regarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. I believe in that moment the fear of God welled up within them. And even in that moment, the doubters believed. Why do I, why do I share that with you today? Because some of us today can see ourselves in this moment. We can see ourselves. Some of us feel like today we are such a broken mess. And probably, truthfully, we are. Apart from Christ, we're a mess. Some of us today feel like we're too far gone. That, that, a past too filled with regrets. We've turned our backs on Jesus one too many times. And the way that we've lived, we've mocked him. In, in the way that we've ignored his love, we've mocked his love and his grace and his mercy. And today, and today, you might believe there's no hope for you. And that is a lie. How do I know it's true? Look, look at the moment. Look at what's happening right here in this moment, the most powerful moment in human history. The doubters believe. The enemies find faith. The unbelievers draw near to the cross in this moment. God's word says this. It says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In that moment at the cross, it began. Every knee bowed. Every tongue confessed. Surely he was the Son of God. Surely he was the Son of God. We're going to do something here that I'm trying to train myself all series. We are a people that like to go and move ahead and get there. And, and that's, that's beautiful. But today, if you would indulge me one more time, we're just going to hit pause. We're just going to create some time and opportunity at the close of our service today to gather around the cross. Not, not physically, but maybe today in your heart, maybe today in your mind, maybe the cross has just become another thing, a speed bump on the way to Easter. And today I just want to invite you, I want to invite you to join me in this moment right here. If you will let it, I think it could be the most powerful moment. Even in a, in a moment of darkness, 
history's darkest moment became its greatest. So so the band's going to come, and they're going to help us in a minute, and we're going to worship, and we're going to pray, and we're going to respond. And as they come, uh, you should have received on your way in some elements. Um, If you want to take those out, we're not going to use them quite yet, but I want you to have them nearby. Because here's what we're going to do. We're going to remember. That's what communion is. It's a sacrament, but it's an opportunity for us to remember. Remember what? Remember the the bread, his body. Jesus, even before he was crucified and he shared a meal with his believers, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. In the cup is the blood that was shed for you. And Jesus said this. He said, do this as often as you do, remember me. So today, in just a moment, we are going to remember We're going to remember the cross. We're not going to look past. We're not going to just let it fade into, I've heard that story. No, today we're we're just going to pause at the foot of the cross and we're going to remember. Could you stand uh, with me now? And the band's going to begin to play. But before we do that, before in just a minute we're going to worship and you're going to have the opportunity to receive communion whenever you want. Whenever you, you take an opportunity to pray. Maybe with your family there, if you've got your family with you or somebody got you, you can take a moment to receive the elements. But before we do that, I want to invite you. Could, could you bow your head with me for a minute and just remove distraction? I know that's hard. I just want to invite you into this moment. This moment around the cross. This moment as we remember. Jesus hanging on the cross for us. And I don't want us to miss the power of that moment. And today, as we worship, and today, before some of us even receive the elements, some of us today, we, we need hope. We need encouragement. We, we need prayer. There's a heaviness. There's a burden. There's an exhaustion that some of us in the room are carrying today. As I was praying for you, as I was uh, reading over my notes last night, I became a little bit overwhelmed in my heart that somebody here, somebody here needed hope. Somebody here was a little bit like the doubter at the cross, and they believed that they were too far gone. They believed that they had mocked you one too many times. Maybe they would feel unwelcome today at the cross. Some of us today, we need healing. There's brokenness in our life today. And we need healing. We need to ask God to come in and move in us. And so today, I want to give you an opportunity. We're going to pray right now together. But some of us today, we might need someone to pray with us. So I have some some pastors that will be just at the front corner of the room. There's no obligation. But today, if you know that's you and you know today that you're not right with God, there's something there before we worship as we pray, as we receive the elements together, I want to invite you to come. Come, let let someone intercede on your behalf. Let someone pray for you. Let someone stand with you today. You're not alone. God is for you, and he wants to open your eyes and transform your life. And today, some of us in the room, we, we might need somebody to pray with us. So if that's you, you can come now. You don't have to wait. Come now. We want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. You're not alone. You feel alone today. That's a lie. You feel too far gone. That's a lie. You feel like you're God's biggest enemy today. That's that's a lie. You feel like the cross isn't for you. That's a lie. Today, you're welcome to come. Church, can we pray now? Can we pray, God? uh, We we want you 
in this moment to open our eyes. We want you in this moment to heal what's been broken. In this moment, the doubters and the skeptics, Lord, we, we believe and, and we believe in this moment you can open our eyes and increase our faith. We pray. As we come to the cross, as in these sacred moments, we worship, we pray, we receive these elements together. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. We are not worthy. We can never be worthy. But we just want to spend a few minutes worshiping you, glorifying you, exalting you. We pray now in this moment that you would work and you would transform for your glory. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.